the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to the Sleeper on the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs contributor Colin Zarzicki. And today we'll be discussing yet another no-hitter and bullpens galore. And, of course, not a surprise, our most interesting player alive today is... Never! <laughs> Was that loud and clear, Colin? I got it. Loud and clear over here. And, of course, that is from the classic South Park from Timmy. So, obviously, Tim Lincecum, no-hitter yesterday, so we got to start the show off with him. 13 strikeouts, 4 walks, but 148 pitches. And, you know, I was watching the game, and after six innings, he was at around 100 pitches, and obviously he had not given up a hit uh, up to that point. And I own Lincecum in a couple of leagues, and I'm thinking, uh, here we go. There is no possible way he can pitch nine innings to get the no-hitter. There's no point. In fact, I would assume that Bruce Bochy would hope that Lincecum would give up a hit in the seventh just so we could actually take him out because this is ridiculous. He's going to need like 160 pitches, and every inning I'm like, oh, my God, he's really going to let him stay in with all of these pitches just for the stupid no-hitter. So... I don't know if it's just because I owned him and so I didn't want him to be destroyed for the rest of the season or what. But, I mean, do you think it gets a little bit ridiculous having to go for the no-hitter even though it's clear? Well, obviously, Lincecum did it, so it wasn't clear that he was, you know, tired. But, I mean, what are your thoughts here on on leaving pitchers in just to go for the no-hitter? No, I mean, I have the uh, exact same feeling on that. Actually, uh, earlier this year, uh, as some of the Rotographs readers know I'm a big Red Sox fan, and, and Clay Buckholtz actually took a no-hitter pretty deep. I think it was in the eighth inning he finally lost it. But he was up around 130 pitches, and I was kind of doing the same thing. Like, just just give up a bloop single. Just give up a bloop single so you can just yank him. Um, I mean, the the one thing that will work in Tim's favor, I think, is, is maybe he got a little bit of extra rope because of the, the all-star break coming up. I'm not really sure where they're going to slot him in afterwards. But, you know, you could probably give him a couple extra days. But yeah. I was thinking that too. I'm like, you know what? He's probably got like a week until his next start. So they probably are thinking that, all right, we'll give him an extra 10, 15 pitches or so. And you're probably right. That had a lot to do with it. I would think. Yeah. yeah. Although, I mean, like I said, I'm with you. I mean, you, you'll always hear from uh, some of the older guards saying, oh, back in our day, people threw 150, 200 pitches. Right. But to see, to see, you know, one four with anything after it in a box score is, is pretty shocking these days. So. Now, what do you think this – how do you think this might affect him moving forward? Because obviously he's been extremely up and down all season. I mean his ERA now is down to a not terrible level, 426. His Sierra though is a, a solid 354, XFIP 325. So it looks like he's had a little bit of bad luck just like he did last year. But is this going to ruin the rest of his season? Because I, in the past there have been lots of times where pitchers – continue after 135 pitch outings and it seems like they go downhill from there yeah well i mean wasn't this the same problem that we kind of had with johan santana uh it was either what last year or two years ago um 
You know, I, I don't know. The, I agree. The, the pitches actually were the probably the biggest concern on that. I thought he actually looked pretty good last night, but I think easily there could have been three or four hits in there. It wasn't one of these no-hitters where I just, you know, the second you saw him in the second or third inning, you said, this is it. This is going to be a no-hit night. I mean, even up until the seventh and eighth inning, I mean, Pence had that that sliding catch. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he, he has looked better this year. I, I Unfortunately, I had been a Lincecum kind of guy, and I stayed away from him in all my leagues this year. Um, but the strikeouts are back up a little bit. The walks are back down. I mean, the velocity is still not 2008-2009, Tim Lincecum. Um, you know, you just got to hope that after the break he comes out, and I don't think you're ever going to see, you know, Cy Young, two-point, one ERA Tim Lincecum anymore, but you know if he comes out and keeps doing what he was doing, especially the last few starts of the first half, you'll you'll be pretty happy in fantasy. Uh, I'm a bit nervous because I mean, if this affects him moving forward, what if it hurts his velocity? It affects his control. I mean, if it affects his control, obviously right now he doesn't have great control to begin with. His velocity is already down at uh, a career low. He's barely averaging over 90 miles an hour. Can you imagine Tim Lincecum at like 89.5? I mean, he's going to be worthless, and, and the guy's only like 29 years old, so it's it's really crazy to see his velocity trend over time, and now you have to worry about this huge pitch count affecting the rest of the season. So I own him in a couple of leagues. I'm not you know rushing out to try to, to sell him after this, but I am curious to see how he bounces back from this outing uh, next time out. All right, besides the no-hitter, there was also some big news over the weekends, and uh, it keeps coming. Biogenesis, the new news now, is about A-Rod and a potential plea deal, and the fact that he might accept a deal to be suspended for 150 games, which seems crazy to me, because that means that without a plea, if he was found guilty, he might be banned for life. Can you believe that? So yeah. he might agree to take a 150, meaning they were willing to give him more than that. That's nuts. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. When I saw that that news drop uh, a couple days ago, I was kind of blown away by it myself. <clears throat> yeah, and then you got to remember, if A-Rod is talking plea deal, I'm sure that every other guy is also considering a plea deal. So, uh, I don't know, it was maybe a week ago, Eno and I were talking about this when the news first broke. And we were saying that, oh, you know, they'll announce the suspensions, then they'll go through that whole appeal process. Who knows how long that's going to take? It's more likely that any suspensions aren't going to be taking place until 2014, so fantasy owners probably won't be affected this year. But if all these guys agree to plea deals, I feel like that means that the suspensions are going to take place immediately. And by the end of the month, Ryan Braun, Nelson Cruz, Johnny Peralta – a-Rod, all of these guys are going to be basically out for the rest of the year. Is this true or am I missing something? No, I mean, I I, uh, I decided to uh, ignore the Biogenesis stuff earlier this year in a dynasty draft and went with uh, Ryan Braun with the third pick instead of taking Bryce Harper, and I'm getting a little, little nervous now. No, you but- know what? Obviously now, if this is what happens to Braun, yeah, you can second-guess yourself. But, I mean, at the time, I, I think that was the right move. Yeah, no. I mean, I I crowdsourced a little bit on that, too, and we, we kind of all agreed. But, yeah, I I kind of had been waiting the whole first half of the season. I had been, you know, MLB kind of also quieted down a little bit, and I was, you know, kind of this had slipped a little bit on the back burner. But, you know, if they really do agree to the plea deals, 
I agree with you. You're going to lose the appeal system. You're not really going to have a long, drawn-out process. But that also means these suspensions could essentially drop at any time. Um, and just, you know, you'll send fantasy owners scrambling. Yeah, and there's really nothing a fantasy owner can do right now other than cross your fring- fingers and pray. I mean, we're- no, I mean, you're only going to get, you know, at this point, I, I think almost the best strategy is to hold because you're only going to get, you know, 10 cents on the dollar for some of these guys. So there's really, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, but there's really no no reason to, to panic and do anything and until you just wait and see what happens, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Braun, to begin with, was, has been, you know, a, a pretty decent disappointment in, in fantasy leagues when he was on the field. He's performed well. Obviously, nine home runs, four steals. That's, that's solid numbers, but obviously not Ryan Braun-esque levels. And then, of course, he's been dealing with an injury. He finally went on the disabled list. He's back. So he's been a disappointment to begin with. So I think Ryan Braun owners have learned how to manage their team without him in the lineup. And so it might not be as big of a shock. Um, Nelson Cruz might actually be a bigger impact for fantasy teams because he's actually remained healthy all season. So Ryan Braun owners may have picked up replacements when he was injured. Nelson Cruz never had that opportunity. Nelson Cruz owners never had that opportunity. So they might be... Uh, really scrambling to find a replacement there. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good point. So uh, I mean, no real advice. We can't really give any insight here, other than cross your fingers and hope. But let's move along to some bullpens. And the trade deadline is obviously coming up in a couple of weeks. And more than likely, there are going to be a couple of current closers being traded. We don't know if they're going to continue to be a closer on their new teams. It'll most likely create new closers. So let's start off with the Arizona bullpen, which is an absolute mess right now. And mm-hmm. I got to ask, is Brad Ziegler really the best bet to close right now? I can't imagine this guy ending the season as a Diamondbacks closer. Yeah, I, I don't really think anyone can. And I, I, to be perfectly honest, don't think he's long for the role. But it, it seems like that's the guy they're going to keep trotting out there while uh, – the rest of this is kind of in flux. I don't think he's the de facto closer right now, but he's certainly uh, in that three or four headed committee. Um, and you know how managers are, uh, you know, they don't look at the fact that he has a low K percentage or he has, you know, he's, he actually has over his career a fairly significant platoon splits. He's actually, you know, with the dropping down with that uh, sidearm slot, he's actually performed very poorly historically against lefties. But as long as he keeps getting the job done, which he's done uh, two of the last four nights now, uh, it seems like they'll keep running him out there until until something bad happens. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the splits because that's a thing that teams are going to realize that histor- this year I think he's been decent against lefties. But historically he's been awful against lefties, which makes sense because side-arming right-handers <clears throat> have always been terrible against left-handers. So opposing managers should bring up all lefties against him, and sooner or later Ziegler is going to blow up. He's going to blow a couple of saves, and the Diamondbacks are going to be back to square one. And and J.J. Putz, his velocity has been up and down since returning from that injury. We don't know how healthy he is. Obviously, David Hernandez has been awful all season. Heath Bell, despite good peripherals, has continued to uh, allow hits at an astronomical rate. So, I mean, they're still leading the division right now. So you have to assume that they're not going to be comfortable going the rest of the season without a stopper at the end of the game. And and they look like as good a team as any to go out and, and get an established name for the back of their bullpen. And we're going to see a new closer by the end of July. It's, it's very possible. Um, I know that uh, one of my other 
fellow bullpen compadres actually discussed this a few nights ago, and he he tends to believe that they'll more uh, they'll stay from within. But I, I'm kind of with you on this. Uh, if this really doesn't sort itself out in the couple weeks after the break, it would not shock me at all for the D-backs to go out and get uh, you know maybe one of the guys that we're actually going to talk about in a little bit in a little while. All right, and the next bullpen is the Red Sox, and obviously right now Koji Uihara is closing, even though none of us actually thought that was going to happen. We all thought that it would be Tozawa again since he got the first chance uh, a couple of months ago. But it's Uihara now, and Andrew Bailey has been banished uh, to uh, the earlier innings. Any chance that he gets his role back at some point? Well, I think the Red Sox really want Bailey uh, to be the closer. I think that's that's the the bullpen shakes out the best if you have Bailey there and if you use Uihara kind of as that relief ace. Um, I know one of the reasons we actually kind of saw the Tazawa move coming in advance. I know there are a lot of people that thought it was going to be Uihara the first time that Bailey was injured. Um, but John Farrell really doesn't like using Uihara a lot, and he's he's actually been used a lot more than I think the Red Sox would have liked in the in the first half so far. But the thing you have to remember about Boston is you're in a market that's really, really driven by performance. And for now, it's going to be really tough to pull Uihara out of that role. Um, I mean, I just have I just pulled up his stats since he's been the closer. But uh, over his last 11 games, when he was named the closer in in June, you know, he's got a point eight seventy ERA. He's got a 16 to one strikeout to walk rate. um, And that's not including today. And he actually uh, threw two scoreless innings today. And. I mean, Bailey has looked better recently, but it's really going to take another few weeks of really shut down innings, I think, from him before we start to worry too much about him retaking the ninth inning away from Uihara. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that Uihara, from a performance perspective, is he's not going to lose the job. I mean, he's one of the premier relievers in all of baseball, so he's not going to lose the job based on his own performance. So I think it's just a matter of waiting for Andrew Bailey's velocity to return i mean he's basically throwing 93 right now he opened the season at 95 96 that's where he's been in previous seasons so if he continues to throw around 93 that's just not going to cut it and and actually uh john farrell on uh on fangraphs the the most recent news on uh andrew bailey's page uh, includes a john farrell quote talking about the fact that if Koji continues to pitch well in the closer role, then they're not going to make a change just for the sake of making a change. And like we said, Uihara is one of the best relievers in baseball, so there's no reason to believe that he won't continue to successfully close games. And yeah, I mean, at this point, I think the only possible hedge is is the workload. I know Uihara's first half has been, uh, you know, I think he's thrown more innings in the first half than he has in possibly his career since he's been over here so they might give him a couple breaks but I I agree as long as he's doing the job I can't see how you pull him and I would think that maybe even Tozawa is still maybe ahead of Bailey so if Uihara needs a break it's going to be Tozawa and not Bailey yep possibly until Bailey gets that velocity back Tozawa's been a little prone to the gopher ball the last few games so they're they're probably neck and neck but yeah I certainly if I'm a Bailey owner, I'm certainly not banking on him being back in the ninth inning anytime in the immediate future. All right, moving along to the Chicago Cubs. Kevin Gregg, my gosh, what a free agent pickup for fantasy owners this year. Uh, I I actually predicted that he would not even get five saves. I do the Fantasy Baseball Roundtable show on Wednesday nights, and, and that was one of my predictions. Five saves, and, and here he is at 17 saves. So clearly I was way wrong, as I'm sure a lot of people yeah, well, I was going to say, you are not alone in that. So, <laughs> uh, Nobody saw this coming. 
crazy. And his Sierra is actually 319, so he's, he's pitched pretty well. Obviously a bit uh, of luck involved with a 235 BABIP, a nearly 88% left on base percentage. But there's no arguing he's been pretty good this year. Uh, I don't know how he's doing it because he hasn't been a good reliever in a while. But this is absolutely great news for Theo Epstein and company because now they might actually get some decent value for Kevin Gregg. And who would have projected this before the season? So you got to assume that Kevin Gregg is as good as gone, right? No, I, it's, you know, I think right now they're really preoccupied with this whole Garza situation. It, it sounds like they're getting ready to actually pull the trigger on Matt Garza. I, I saw a report come across Twitter that that maybe he'll be gone um, before he makes another start. If, Did they name the a team? After the All-Star break. I think there's about 17 teams in the running okay, right so now. Okay, so that's what I read too. Yeah, so there's no yeah. – because I have Garza in a couple of leagues, and if he goes to the AL like Toronto or the Rangers, I'm like, oh, I don't yeah. like that. No, I, I, I also have Garza, and I think that it's skewed a little bit to the AL, but I think the Dodgers, you know, especially with their financial situation – I like a Dodgers move. Exactly. Would be, you know, if they're still interested, could kind of – break in and break open the bidding or something like that. But it, I, it sounds like he'll be gone in the next maybe week to 10 days, at which point it, I would assume Theo would start to turn his attention maybe to the Alfonso Sorianos or the Kevin Greggs of the world. And, you know, Greg just seems like such a logical piece for them to move. So it's so funny because it seems like everybody just assumes that it's Blake Parker who is going to take over the role if Kevin Gregg is actually traded. But, I mean, unless they want to see the next Carlos Marmol, I mean, that's what Blake Parker looks like to me. A good strikeout guy, bad control, and a fly ball pitcher. That's exactly what Carlos Marmol was. So I don't, I just don't really see Blake Parker as a, a real solid reliever who can come in and succeed in the closer role. No, I, I'm with you. Uh, we've gotten a lot of actually pushback on the uh, the bullpen report, the nightly bullpen report right, for Rotographs, because we... Uh, for a while, didn't have Blake Parker ranked that that high on the depth chart, and a lot of readers were kind of like, "Oh, no, look at this guy! He throws hard, he he gets strikes." But you know, you keep looking at things. I mean, he's given up more than 50% of of his balls and player fly balls, and then he only has a 4% home run to fly ball ratio, and that's given you, you know, his ERA is sitting around two. But if you look at all his advanced metrics, like his xFIP and Sierra, they're all over four. Um, you know, so I'm kind of with you. I, I don't, you know, I don't want my closer to be walking on edge and that's kind of what the Cubs have had in the last four or five years with Carlos Marmol um, and that's a lot of the same you're, you're going to get with Blake Parker yeah and of course the other name floating around is Pedro Strope he's also terrible with a uh, bad control he lucked his way into a good ERA last year so I don't think he'd be very good me and you know we're actually talking about maybe Jake Arietta as a real dark horse and we were curious to see what they do with him in the minors and, I, and I'm looking at his his stats right now, he's had two starts. I guess uh, he got killed because he's only thrown four and two-thirds innings in two starts, which is obviously bad. So he's got two starts. It didn't move him to the bullpen. I thought maybe he would be a dark horse candidate to close, but it doesn't look like they have transitioned him to the bullpen. So it seems to me like it's just going to be a mess for the rest of the year and just a bullpen to avoid. I mean, to me, I feel like they should have some sort of a platoon where James Rush Russell, James Russell comes in to face lefties, and then whoever they feel like it to get righties out. But I don't think anybody in that bullpen is really going to have sustained value as a closer. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. The, the Cubs bullpen, especially the last couple of years, has has really just been a mess. I actually have James Russell here on my note sheet, and uh, I agree. It actually wouldn't be a complete shock to me to see a committee. Uh, they did it last year when they gave Carlos uh, Marmola 
breather. I'm doing air quotes over here, but a, a breather. <laughs> Um, and they, it was James Russell and Sean Kemp or Sean Camp at the time. <laughs> Sean Kemp, Sean Kemp. <laughs> going back to the Supersonics days. Yeah. Um, no, but you know, it's just I don't. I mean, if you're in a really, really, really deep league and you have to invest something, you know, maybe you kind of try to scrounge for these guys. But otherwise, in, in standard leagues, I'm actually just staying away. Yeah, and just a reminder: James Russell has no chance of being a successful full-time closer. He's solid, not great, but solid against lefties. But his ex-fip in his career versus righties is 519. He's allowed a 358 Woba. Uh, this year, that Woba against righties is 399 with a 564 ex-fip. He's terrible against righties. He should never face a righty ever. Yeah. And, and so there's no way he could be a full-time closer. Yeah, he's another one of those guys that has a lower arm slot. You know those lower arm slot guys are really susceptible to those platoon splits. Yeah, uh, moving on to uh, Colorado. Uh, Rafael Betancourt is another name that gets bandied about as being traded at the deadline. What do you think his chances are of getting traded? If you had asked me a couple months ago, I would have said they were probably reasonably high. Um, but, you know, I took a peek at the standings, and, and I, I haven't really been keeping a close eye on the NL West. I just knew they were reasonably close. I mean, the Rockies are sitting right now about four and a half out um, behind Arizona, and I think they're I have seven and a half out behind the second wild card spot. I mean, a lot of this is going to depend on what they do in the next couple of weeks. If they come out of the, the all-star break and scuffle and, you know, lose seven of nine and drop, they might say, okay, this is the time with, with Betancourt. I think he's 37-ish. He's getting up there. Yeah. Um, you know, this might be the time to kind of cash in the chips. I mean, they have guys like, uh, I mean, we've, we saw that Rex Brothers did an uh, admiral job filling in for him when uh, Betancourt had his groin injury earlier this year. Um, but, you know, if they're kind of still hanging in there, you know, they're within five games or within striking distance – it's one of those things where you might not want to, you know, scare your fans away and make it look like you're punting on the season, even if you're getting back a nice return. Um, so he might actually stick around for the remainder of the year. We'll have to just wait and see what happens after the break. Yeah, that's very possible. And there's not much uh, fantasy owners can really do here anyway, because we know the replacement's going to be like 99% sure. It'll be Rex Brothers, and Rex Brothers is probably owned in a lot of leagues already, just because he's remained a solid middle reliever, so he's probably gone in deeper leagues, obviously in all only leagues. And since he had closed uh, fairly recently until Betancourt came back, it's possible he's still on uh, fantasy teams in more shallow leagues that just haven't found anybody better to pick up. So Brothers probably isn't that much available, not as much, obviously, as other guys that are second in line for saves. So not a whole lot to do if you want to speculate. I mean, you can see if Brothers is available. But, yeah, I don't think Ben Court is as a guarantee to be traded as maybe some thought uh, a month or two ago. All right, next bullpen to discuss is the Tigers. And I feel like we've been discussing this every single week. So do you really think that Joaquin Benoit ends the season as the Detroit closer? Uh, I mean, at this point, I think you have to say yes. I, I know they were, they almost seemed hesitant to kind of let him have the role all to himself, but, but he's just put up such good peripherals the last couple of years. And this year he's just continued. I think he has a, his ERA is below two, but I have his XFIP up right now. It's, it's 2.64. And, you know, he, again, I think today he, he pitched in a non-safe situation, struck out a couple guys in a scoreless inning, but he just, so far he's just been getting the job done. And that's been a, a a pleasant, a closer able, a closer who's able to get the job done while striking people out is a, a, a nice change of pace from the uh, Jose Valverde that we saw earlier this year. <laughs> and Phil Coke. Oh uh, yeah, it's definitely not going to be Phil Coke closing or ending the season as the Tigers closer. You can you can take that to the bank. Yeah, so. you know your manager does not look at statistical splits 
when you try Phil Coke at closer facing right-handed batters. Yeah, especially when it's righty, righty, righty coming up in the ninth. And yes, like, there is. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've been saying all along that, yeah, obviously Joaquin Benoit is a fantastic pitcher. If given the opportunity, he would be an excellent closer. But you mentioned how hesitant they've been, and and that's the reason why I just – I don't think for whatever reason, I just don't think that they're comfortable with him. Maybe they just like him better in the eighth inning. I don't know why it is, but I don't think they are. And for that reason, I still think that they're going to be on the lookout for a more established closer. And the funny thing is, is that I bet if they do acquire a closer, an established guy, he's probably going to be a worse pitcher than Benoit. Like, I wouldn't be shocked to see them actually trade for Kevin Gregg. And how funny would that be if they traded for Kevin Gregg and they installed him as the closer basically stating that, yeah, we have more confidence in him closing games than Joaquin Benoit. I think that would be hilarious. Well, you know, Jim Leland loves those guys that have the, the closer trademark tag yeah. on the back of their jersey, so you, you do have to watch out for that. But Closer you know, TM. Exactly. So Joaquin Benoit, I'm not very confident that he's going to end the season as closer, but of course, as long as he is closing, I think he'll continue to do a superb job. Uh, next up, Milwaukee, who really bothers me because I've had Jim Henderson since the beginning. Then he gets Wally pipped, comes back, and then and, and suddenly, really, Francisco Rodriguez is the closer? Come on. So what I'm hoping, they trade the entire bullpen. Jim Henderson's the only one left. <laughs> and by default, he has to get the job because I'm still a little concerned that maybe Axford gets the job if Francisco Rodriguez is traded. I don't know. I, it would really be nice if Jim Henderson got the job back if the other guys are traded, but I don't know. It's funny, but it seems like every guy in the bullpen is rumored to be on the block. So, hey, maybe Jim Henderson himself gets traded. Who knows? Yeah, no. I mean, I generally agree with you. Jim Henderson's also a great story, you know, a career minor leaguer who toiled, who could strike a ton of guys out, suddenly came up to the big leagues and, you know, just had almost nothing but success since he he came up last year. I think the Francisco Rodriguez thing is kind of surprised everyone, probably even Milwaukee. Um, I mean, he's essentially enjoying... Uh, his best season in a couple of years, um, even peripherally. I mean, he's he's the 1.25 ERA he has is is clearly not sustainable. Wait, hold um, on. He is a 99% left on base percentage. Yeah, it's actually up to like 99.1 after today. So oh, he's oh. ticking upwards. That's impressive. I know. Um, yeah. So, but and and reasonably, he seems like he would be the the most obvious trade ship uh, on Milwaukee. I mean, I don't, it's tough, you know, he, it's kind of hard to believe that he's still actually fairly young. He's only 31. I mean, that does surprise me. You know, it feels like he's been around for forever. Um, you'd think he would be, I don't know, in his late thirties or something. But in terms of, if you had to choose between Axford Henderson and, and K-Rod, who you would keep for, you know, going forward a couple of years, you would think that the Brewers would lean towards at least holding on to Axford and Henderson and, and K-Rod would be that guy that's expendable that that maybe someone like the D-backs would look into as the an established closer. Or, or the Tigers. Or or the Tigers, exactly. That you know, Jim Leland might might uh salivate. Exactly. <laughs> oh, he's finally gotten his proven closer. Well, at least uh, I think that Francisco Rodriguez would perform a bit better than Kevin Gregg. So that wouldn't be such uh, a laughable trade. I think we agree there, so all right, so basically it looks like the entire bullpen is on the block here, and whoever's left standing is going to close. I think we both agree on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i I'm holding Henderson just ahead of them if I had to rank them the rest of the season just because 
Axford's a little buried right now. Um, they kind of tried to keep giving him the chance to get back in that ninth inning earlier this season. I think he's kind of slipped down. But I agree, until something shakes out, there's not really a whole lot of confidence there. All right, so moving along to San Diego, it seems like every single year Houston Street's name is on the block. Uh, I think I had checked his contract status, and he signed through 2014. Uh, yeah, oh, Fangraphs has contract status. Yeah, so he signed through 2014. It's not like he's a free agent at the end of the year. But, of course, the Padres are eight and a half back, last in the West. So they're probably going to be selling as well. And, man, Houston Street's peripherals have gone down the toilet this year. I don't know what happened because his velocity is fine. He's just not getting any swinging strikes or he's not getting them at the level that he's usually gotten them at. And the strikeouts just aren't there. So, I mean, he looks like a prime guy to trade for the Padres. Yeah, I kind of agree. And I, I haven't really done enough digging into like his, his pitch effects to see. I mean, his the contact rate against him is way up. Like you said, his swinging strike is way down. But, you know, just on the face of it, his velocity seems to be there. It's not like he's walking a ton of guys. Uh, his walk rate is actually a little lower than it was last year when he did pretty well. Um, but, you know, this is Houston Street's kind of the guy that the Padres signed to this long-term deal. And they said, oh, he's going to be our closer for a while. But even going back to, to you know, the offseason, there still was a little bit of rumbling. Oh, is he really, really here long-term? Um, and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they were on the phone with, with some of these other teams and if they you know, were offered something interesting just to kind of cut bait. And, you know, they have a few other good options behind him. And if you could get those declining peripherals and that money off the book, that might be something you do. Yeah, and the thing is, is that, say, Houston Street is traded. So right now in the bullpen report, uh, the the ranking system, you guys got Luke Gregerson second in line and then Dale Thayer third in line. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke Gregerson was given the opportunity when Houston Street was on the DL – I owned I owned Street, and so I picked up Gregerson. Gregerson didn't do a particularly great job, so I feel like since Thayer was the guy last year, I wouldn't be shocked if this time they give it to Thayer again. Yeah, I mean it's certainly a possibility. Um, I mean it is should be noted that that uh, even with those hiccups, Gregerson still generally has the better peripherals than Thayer, but. Again, Major League managers not necessarily always looking at the the ex-fips of the world. No, um, clearly not. Yeah, both of them have been roughly on, on equal footing the last couple of years. I like Gregerson a little more just because I think he's got a little bit. Uh, even though Thayer's strikeout rate this year is is better, I think Gregerson's stuff is is slightly ahead of his. But you know, either one of those guys would be certainly admirable and do fine on a team, especially a team like the Padres, which you know they're kind of just languishing there in the bottom of the the NL West. Um, so, so San Diego, certainly, it, it wouldn't be a gaping black hole. And if Houston Street were to go somewhere, I would make sure that both Thayer and Gregerson are gone off the wire until you, you see which one goes where. Yeah, the interesting thing also about Dale Thayer is he's a fastball slider guy. We always talk about these guys. They always have problems versus lefties. But Thayer hasn't had that problem. He's basically pretty similar against righties and lefties, which is a good thing because that means that he could potentially be a full-time closer. And you don't have to worry about like a Mitchell Boggs or a Steve Ciszek situation or a Brad Ziegler situation where mm-hmm. he just can't get lefties out. So so that's something to keep in mind that he probably would do a decent job. He, uh, he throws harder than Gregerson, obviously. He has a good strikeout rate. So he's more of a prototypical closer than Luke Gregerson. But then again, Houston Street isn't a prototypical closer either because he just throws slop and like – high 80s fastballs and a bunch of sliders and change-ups and breaking pitches, uh, which is like Gregerson. So I guess 
the Padres are okay with that, but I really wouldn't be surprised if it was Thayer. So don't automatically assume that it's Gregerson if uh, Street is traded. And uh, if you have room, maybe you know pick up both. Uh, last situation is Seattle, and it looks like Tom Wilhelmson does officially have his job back. But do you think he holds on to it for the rest of the year? Uh, I mean, if he's on the the Mariners, I think he certainly has the ability to hold on to it for the rest of the season. Uh, the bigger question is, you know, there hasn't actually been a lot of smoke out of Seattle as to whether they want to trade Wilhelmson or not. But, uh, you know, given the, the fact that they're, I think, 11 games out of the 11 games out last I checked at least, and they have Carter Caps and they have Steve Pryor and they have Medina and they have Perez. I'm not really as excited about either of those guys, but they have plenty of other, you know, quote, closer of the future type options. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me to see him moved. I mean, he's not one of the guys that, you know, we're talking a lot about Kevin Gregg. We're talking a lot about, uh, you know, Francisco Rodriguez. But I think Tom Wilhelmson's probably my my dark horse to get to get moved before July 31st. Yeah, I was kind of surprised because Wilhelmson's obviously a younger guy. Uh, I mean, not real young, not as young as you would expect. But he is a, a younger guy. I mean, he's, he's 29 right now. Oh, wow. He's almost as old as Francisco Rodriguez. Yeah. It's a surprise. So, so yeah, I guess it would make sense for them to trade him. And the problem is is that, well, Carter Caps is now in the minors. Even though his peripherals were great, he just gave up a ton of uh, hits and home runs. And then so he had some horrible Babip luck. Uh, yeah. They don't really have many other options now, although it looks like Oliver Perez's renaissance uh, looks pretty legit. I mean, we forget that he used to be really good. He can get out lefties, obviously, and he can get out righties. So he has no platoon issues. So I think... He might be the second in line and, and a, a guy that can run with the job, though he probably has the ability to pitch multiple innings. So I don't know if they really want to pigeonhole him as just a, a ninth inning guy. Yeah, no, I, I certainly like if it comes down to Perez or Medina, which is kind of what the situation was, you know, the last couple of weeks when they were trying to deal with whether, you know, kind of work Wilhelmson's kinks out in lower leverage situations. I certainly like Perez better. Um, I agree with you that that he has the the stuff and the uh, talent. I would like to see him put up. You know, he he's been good this year, but even with his quote unquote renaissance last year, he still was was pretty lucky in terms of of home runs and and strand rate. So I'd like to see that uh, continue. But you know, they have they have options, and, and there were some rumblings last year about Wilhelmson being moved, and and he's you know the, always going to be a guy that's going to strike a lot of guys out, but he's also going to be the same guy kind of like. Carlos Marmol, not certainly not to that extent. Uh, that's going to have trouble hitting the strike zone, and that's just one of those things that that some teams, you know, aren't really a big fan of in their ninth inning guy. All right, let's move along to two hitters who are completely defying the age effects on hitting. Uh, first guy is Alfonso Soriano, who is 37 years old, and Raúl Abanez. Are you kidding me? He is. 41. What is going on with these two? Who has a better chance of actually sustaining their success the rest of the season? Well, these are guys are both actually great stories. And I, I always joke that the, the older I get, the more I begin to root for the older guys because I, I slowly am getting closer and closer to these guys are the, the bastion of, of, oh, I could I could still maybe make it in the big leagues. I really couldn't. But <laughs> I think if, if I had to choose one the rest of the year, I think it would definitely be uh, Raul Obanez. Um for me personally, I think both of them are going to regress a little bit, but I think Abanez really gives you, you know, neither of them are really helping you a lot 
or helping you out in average or on base or, or OPS or anything. I mean, I, they're both getting you a little bit in OPS, but they're killing you in average and on base. Um, and I mean, obviously, Ibanez has got a 28% home run to fly ball, so that's that's not sustainable. But the rest of it's not really that bad. I mean, the BAPIP's not fluky. I'm not really a big fan of his his strikeout and walk rates, but they're not abysmal. Um, so I, I actually have him in a couple leagues, and unless I get a really nice offer, I'm going to kind of hold him as like a fifth outfielder and someone I can get in there maybe to, to get me another 10 or 15 dingers over the rest of the season. I have a confession to make. I play in the Labor 15-team mixed league, and uh, several weeks ago, let's say maybe a month, a month and a week ago, Royal Abanez was a free agent. Who did I pick up instead? I think this was the time I picked up Justin Maxwell instead. How many at-bats has Justin Maxwell had for me? I think zero. I chose not to pick up Raul Abanez, and I missed out on like 18 home runs in like a one-month span. So I don't like Raul Abanez this year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he he certainly – and it's one of those things where you know I I don't like to chase streaks in fantasy, so I can't – well, unless you're, I guess you're talking about Chris Davis, but you know, you see that Abanez had five or six home runs and I'm usually like, well, let some other guy take him, but I needed the power. So I was like, well, whatever, we'll just plug him in and try him. And you know, every other night I log in and I see, oh, Abanez knocked another one out of the park. Well, this is pretty great. So the last month has been a lot of fun for Abanez owners. Yeah. Tell me about it. I would have been basking in it if I wasn't an idiot and actually picked him up. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm actually going to disagree. I'm going to say that I like Soriano for the rest of the year better. I mean, Abanez is home number fly ball, 27%. That's easily a career high. No way that's sustainable. What's interesting, though, is it looks like he's just closing his eyes and swinging as hard as he can, which his strikeout rate is now the worst of his career. And he's had a long career. So he's striking out the most ever, and his home number fly ball is the highest ever. I don't think that home number fly is possibly sustainable. But Soriano's peripherals, all of his advanced metrics look pretty normal and, and, and sustainable. The only suspicious thing is his speed. As a 37-year-old, you, you can't imagine that he's going to continue his pace of nearly 20 steals all year. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that he's on the trade block, and so depending on what lineup and what ballpark he ends up in could affect his fantasy value. So, I mean, obviously, neither of us probably expect them to really hit what they're on pace for now, you got to assume they're going to slow down at those ages. Yeah, and I mean, if if you could find someone in your league that's, you know, really wants to buy in on their first half stats, by all means, ship them out for first half value. Absolutely. All right, well, that's a wrap, folks. Enjoy the uh, All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby, of course, and uh, join us again on Tuesday for a pre-All-Star Game edition and more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust for Colin Zarzicki. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and thanks for tuning in.